Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to a man who's seen his share of forest fires. Aaron Williams is the author of Chasing Smoke. He's spent 10 seasons fighting forest fires across western Canada, Ontario, Quebec, and Idaho. His first book is an insider's look into the intense and strange and totally one-of-a-kind life that makes up a fire season. Here's his story. Let's start off with this. What led you into forest firefighting? You have this book now, Chasing Smoke. What was your scenario? Where were you coming from to get into this in the first place? Yeah, I was, uh, well, I, um, I grew up in Prince Rupert, BC, which is very wet. Um, and it's not really, forest firefighting isn't really a job on the radar of a lot of kids in, in Prince Rupert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then I was in, I think, grade 11-ish, somewhere around there. And somebody was visiting from Ontario, like a friend of a relative. And they did forest firefighting in Ontario. And they were talking about how they would make like up to like 35 or 40 grand in four months. And at that age, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I wasn't planning on going to university. I was sort of definitely from more of a uh, business trades kind of a family. Most of the the men in my family going back many generations are loggers. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the business we knew. And so I didn't really know what to do after high school. But, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't on a career path or anything. So it it seemed like a nice option to go make some good money and then take some time off and be able to, to travel or, or, you know, pursue leisure activities kind of thing. Right. Did that live up to expectation or were you in for an awakening on your first season? Um, The job or the leisure activities? Well, (laughs) I guess the idea that I'm going to get in here, you know, make some good money in a couple months. Yeah. Have a good time. And then and then I'll be uh, back to to doing what I want with the. the Oh, it was totally it was it was amazing. Like, I, I think I was just talking about this the other day with somebody about how there's about that moment in your life and I, you know hopefully most people experience this at some point where you suddenly go from making very little money to like much more money and it hmm. often happens in your 20s where you know for me it went from making um like $12 an hour with no overtime or no you know extra hours or anything like that yeah. to making yeah. you know the the starting wage at the time was about 1850 or something like that for a firefighter and all sorts of overtime so so I, I went from making uh, you know, I basically doubled or doubled or more my salary and, mm-hmm. and like made all this money in such a short period of time. So, I mean, that certainly didn't disappoint. Like we, we had a fairly busy season my first year, which generally means you're going to make some more money because you're working more hours and stuff like that. And uh, I came away in September and it was just like to be 20 years old and to have like 25 grand in your bank account. Right. More, like, more money than you've ever had and know what to do with <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 so amazing. And then of course, you know, the <laughs> problem with with life and being human and stuff is that suddenly that's the norm and you you know, you, your appreciation for it sort of um dwindles as mm. time goes on and suddenly you're like, "Oh, I need, you know, now I need 50 grand to live." Mm-hmm. Forget about this 25 grand. So anyway, but the the first yeah, the after the first season, it was it was uh it was pretty thrilling for sure. So what's a typical fire season like? When do you start? And how long mm. does it last? Where are the kind of the peaks and valleys in in a season? Um, it varies, but if you're if you're just a, a crew member, generally the start date is uh, the first week in May, 
and uh, the end date is somewhere right around Labor Day. So it lines up quite nicely with uh, with the university timeline. And then, you know, there there is there's not really any typical season. It's kind of it's either it's either busy or slow, or uh, maybe some years you go out of province quite a bit. Other years you stay in province the whole time, such as this last summer in BC. Um, you know, no BC crews went anywhere else because we were so busy mm. um, out here the whole time. And uh, I mean, you're you will, but also even this past summer, you know, there there will still be you know some downtime during that time. You often do sort of projects around the community where you're based. So that's like you know anything from brushing hiking trails to you know we were we laid bricks in a public park one summer and neat stuff it can be uh it's important to have good uh work during your during the time when you're not fighting fire to sort of keep everybody occupied and and positive and and stuff like that and then yeah the i mean definitely what you're excited for if if you're a firefighter is is when there is a fire you know you don't obviously you don't want uh you don't want mass destruction and stuff like that, but um, it is, uh, it's certainly the, you know, it's the part of the job where you, you feel like you're doing your job. You're not just pretending or whatever yeah. or, or passing the time. So what was your first wildfire like? <laughs> um, my first wildfire was uh, south of a little town called uh, Vanderhoof, which is sort of in, in the central part of BC. Mm-hmm. And um, it was late May, it was very cold. Um, it was very disorganized. Uh, we saw almost no fire. It was, I, I always, I, I love it when, you know, over the years you see new crops of people come in to the job. And uh, I always think it's, a, it's the best case scenario when somebody shows up and whatever fire you go to is a complete dud and it's boring and you don't <laughs> go for very long and it's, you know, potentially cold and miserable and stuff like that because, um it, what you'll what you'll have happen is then then those kind of people are are appreciative afterwards uh when things do get exciting and you know you, you're riding in helicopters mm-hmm. and you're actually seeing walls of flame and stuff like that so my first fire was definitely on the side of of uh of a boring sort of non-event that sort of uh it's kept the the bar was set pretty low yeah i remember another a weird thing about the crew i was on when i came on to it is it was it was fairly, I mean, definitely looking back now, it seems fairly old school in the sense that it was like sort of, you know, not terrible hazing, but some some uncomfortable sort of hazing for somebody who didn't know any of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the guy gave me, the guy who was in charge of like handing out gear, gave me like a really crappy sleeping bag. Like I had, I had no idea, but uh, we got out there and it was, I think, minus five the first night. And I slept in like every piece of clothing I had and, and the sleeping bag was rated for probably plus 10 or something like that. And it was, it was pretty, huh. it was pretty terrible. I had six nights in a tent, it was freezing cold. And anyway, that was, yeah, that was the first fire. So were you let down then uh, to have that, that first fire? You, you're, you're getting into this job thinking uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be excited. And Honestly, I was, yeah. And I think it was because part of me, you know, though I was, Certainly, I was I was uh, first motivated to get into the job, you know, because of the money. You know, as part of me was also like I, coming from Prince Rupert, you just have no idea how that world works. So I was kind of like, "Cool, this is going to be exciting." You know, we're going to be uh, out there battling huge fires, and then we get there, and it was that was completely not the case. So, 
So it was disappointing, but ultimately, you know, it's a pretty honest look at how, how it goes sometimes. So it was, it was probably for the best. I yeah, think. yeah. So if your first fire was, for lack of a better word, a dud, yeah. when was the moment when you felt like you're not in Kansas anymore, so to speak? You, you're, you find yourself <laughs> in a fire and you are... I don't even totally get that <laughs> reference. That's like, like Dorothy had this... Yeah, like very yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like it works, Kansas. but... But yeah, you know what I mean. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I knew <laughs> the, the, the reference. Uh, the moment when I wasn't in Kansas anymore, uh, like in terms of like uh, seeing fire and stuff like that. Exactly. When, uh, you, when you finally find yourself at a blaze and you realize, whoa, this is big. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a very obvious moment for me. And that was at the, uh, towards the end of my first season. Uh, we went down to Idaho to work for uh, two or three weeks. And um, they sent us to this fire on a, on a ridgetop in Idaho. And uh, like the, the helicopter pilot, I think, was actually a Vietnam veteran, which was uh-huh. like he was definitely at the, at the tail end of his, his flying career. This was in 2006. So I guess, yeah, I think the numbers line up on that. He'd flown in Vietnam. And, uh, and he, we, we piled into this helicopter, two groups of uh, two loads of 10 people. And then we're like, you know, chugging across this valley and up this mountain. And you can sort of see plumes of smoke everywhere. And, um, and we land on this ridge and they, they just kind of, they do a lot of very uh, bare bones, like what they call spike camping down there. And we just land on this ridge with all our gear. We just sort of pile out and it's late in the day. And, um, and we, we did maybe a bit of work that day. And um, it was just, it was just a whole different world. Like they, they, they approach it so differently down there because it's drier, it's hotter. Mm. There's more population. There's, there's just more at stake generally. And there's sort of that American attitude of, you know, like it, it's more of a war for them than it. Than, yeah. Than yeah. Yeah. We think about it in BC. So yeah, we were up on this ridge and uh, we just sort of put in a, uh, you know, the tail end of a day's work and set up camp and stuff. And the fire was pretty close to where we were tenting. Like they probably wouldn't have, have stationed us at, like that in, in BC. They wouldn't have had us camping up there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, we, <laughs> I mean, so we're, we're at the end of the day, we're sort of getting into our tents and feeling like we're, we're, we're pretty cool and, and we're pretty hardcore. And then this, this hotshot crew like marches up this ridge, single file. Like it's just getting dark. There's like trees candling not far away. It's, it's such that it's not actually dangerous, but it's, you know, it's more than what we're used to. And they march single file up this hill, like all 20 of them. And they like stop, they like roll out their sleeping bags and they Mm -hmm. just lay down and fall asleep on the (laughs) ground, like with their boots on. And, and that was like, and that was for me, was like, okay, like this can be real for sure. Like these guys are working extremely hard and, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. And is that, was that the expectation you were going to be sleeping there too? Well, we certainly felt pretty lame compared to them, like with our tents and our little, you know, fire. We probably even like cut some, you know, cut some log rounds to make, you know, seats around the fire and stuff like right. that. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't feel very, uh, very good about ourselves after seeing <laughs> Yeah. When I see uh, pictures of people who are forest firefighters, you, you picture like the, the faces that are just blackened by so much smoke. <laughs> yeah. 
And, yeah, uh, sure. What do you? What does it smell like? What does it sound like at a fire? Oh, and, yeah. and what are you? What are you feeling like in your lungs? What is that like? Um. Well, the smell is is kind of good in a way, unless unless you're in too thick of smoke. Uh-huh. Um, I think that uh, I think that you could like bottle that smell and sell it, you know, like uh, Kramer <laughs> with the beach smell or whatever. Yeah, right. Like I think that if you can get it, like if you, <laughs> I do. I love the smell of the smell of pine smoke. I mean, you, you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. The, well, that's campfire for you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The campfire smell, I love it, but. Uh, but yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're in it pretty thick. So it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's pretty concentrated when you've, when you've been working in pretty thick smoke all day. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never felt like I had any sort of real problem with my lungs or definitely not anything long-term. You would have the odd day or, 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 or maybe a few days in a row where it gets pretty thick and you, and you, uh, you know, your eyes are often watering your, your, your nose gets pretty runny it seems like there's kind of an element of machismo, right. macho, whatever you call it that around that too, is that like, you know, we'd never want to wear like bandanas around our faces or anything. I, truthfully, I don't know how much that's really doing for you anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it would, it would, it would definitely, if, if you were exposed to it for a long time and we actually had one stretch in 2014 where it was like a week or so, or it was just so thick, like, it basically felt like you were in fog all the time and, and your, your visibility would, I, I don't know what the numbers would be, but it was certainly pretty limited and it, it, uh, it, it, it affects you for sure. Those times are a little bit more rare, but, um, but yeah, it can be, it can be a challenge at times. What about, what does it sound like when you're approaching a massive blaze? Often the sound of the fire is drowned out by equipment, whether it's um, bulldozers mm-hmm. trying to push a fire break around uh, around the outside of a fire mm-hmm. or helicopters or, or water bomber uh, aircraft. Um, but the sound, like if, if all of that is switched off and you're just close to a fire that's, that's really moving, I, I remember like a couple of instances where we were, one where we were quite a ways away from a fire that was, blasting off it was enormous and um and we were probably kilometers away and it sounded uh not a very exciting uh metaphor but it did it did sound something like a freight train um mm. and uh and it, it definitely you know excites something inside you you feel like you're you know you're close to something powerful and it, it can be it, it it's definitely you know, as, as you would sort of stare off into a campfire, sort of, uh, you know, completely enthralled by it, the same thing happens on a, on a larger scale with the yeah. wildfires that you can sort of get caught up in the, you know, if you have a minute and, you know, you're not so busy packing hose or, or, or hosing or running chainsaw or whatever, you have a minute and you can hear the fire kind of chewing through the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to sort of pry yourself away from that. It's just such an incredibly, you know, powerful thing that's happening. Like moments of of awe, right? Where you oh yeah yeah recognize. absolutely sure yeah yeah you you uh, I mean I I would say that you you feel all sorts of things about you know this you know your insignificance on the planet or something like that totally. but you know I yeah. I find I'm not really thinking about anything I'm just thinking like I'm just I'm just sort of transfixed I'm not thinking about anything at all yeah what are you thinking about when the call comes you're hanging around camp and yeah. your crew has been called out to go to a fire. It's, uh, it's super exciting. Um, I remember one year I was, 
our, the, our crew supervisor, who's in charge of all 20 of us, was away. And uh, I had to break the news that sort of one of the higher ups at the base told me that we were being sent to Quebec. And uh, I remember I had to like gather the crew into the crew room and like and give them the news. And like, I was, uh, I was just like, I was almost like vibrating with excitement. Like my voice was shaking and stuff. And not because I was like nervous to speak publicly. I was just like, holy, like we're going on a big, you know, crazy trip and this could be really interesting. And, and so um yeah it's 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 always it's always a bit of a lightning bolt when uh whenever you hear that you're going somewhere you know right away you want to know okay where and then like first it's where i think and if i could if i could like think back on what happens then it's like how big is the fire you know like you want to know if it's if it's going to be active or if it's just sort of in in cleanup phase or whatever and then yeah (laughs) i guess it's it's so it's pretty maybe crass to talk about it but you're also like okay sweet we're gonna make like some overtime because like the overtime is really what what can propel you through the winter it's not mm. just the, the base wages do it and so i yeah I, I feel so bad saying that but i think like you know at at your core there's there's something about that too it's so weird how we are with money I, I think <laughs> anytime, anytime something becomes a job that's kind of part of how your mind starts to work right it, it turns to that it just becomes your reality. So it, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever, uh, but it is, it is yeah. weird how we operate. Yeah. I, I guess I'm really hung up on it now for some reason, just cause you know, I, I need more of it and I'm having trouble making it right now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but yeah, when you, when you, when you hear whispers of going and I, I should add to, to that, that the absolute worst is when you hear pretty on, on pretty solid, uh, from a pretty solid source that you are going to go somewhere, there's a fire, you're getting deployed mm-hmm. and then it gets rescinded. Like the low of that is, is pretty terrible. Mm. <laughs> there's all sorts of, you know, hilarious stories about, you know, crews being fully dressed and in the trucks idling, you know, to go on a, a huge mission, you know, all the way to Ontario or down to the States or something like that. And then being told, Oh, actually you're not anymore. <laughs> so who's making those decisions of who goes where and who stays? Um, it's that gets into a complex bureaucratic uh, thing that I try that I actively tried not to learn too much about because I found the more you learn, the more frustrated you got mm. with the system. But it basically, you know, at first it crunches out at a regional level and then at a provincial level, basically. Yeah. But by the time it gets to us, it's uh, yeah, we're obviously the lowest, uh, the last to hear, and, and we have absolutely no say in what happens. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of best not to know how those things work. <laughs> so, so what are the what are the nuances of uh, of a crew? Who what's what's more or less the the leadership structure you have? Yeah, so there's uh, twenty people. One of which is uh, they're called the crew supervisor. Yeah, um, and then underneath him would be like uh, squad bosses. So Alpha Bravo Charlie squad say. And then yeah. underneath them, you know, five or six people, and and within and, and uh, like uh, among those five or six people you've got somebody who's uh who's been trained to fall trees um somebody else who's uh, a level three first aid attendant um are, are kind of two key players on each squad um and then you know like like any uh like any job or business or whatever there's all in this world there's got to be the people who are you know especially for if you're a rookie or in your second year maybe your only job is to just be a guy who packs hose and and can spray put water on fire and the, your tasks can be quite exceptionally menial if you're new to it and then you you sort of work your way up to you know falling's interesting and uh 
and if first aid stuff, if, like um, lots of people have an interest in, in doing that kind of thing. So um, that's that's sort of how it looks uh, internally. What's the general breakdown like uh, age-wise, uh, oh, okay. gender, yeah. uh, experience level, what you're typically seeing? Yeah, so 20-person um, crew, you divide it into three or four squads of, uh, I forget how the math crunches out, of like four or five people per squad. Yeah. They're generally age range, 20 to 30, usually. Yeah. I almost feel like it's skewing a bit older now, maybe. I could be wrong. Um, it seems like people are getting into it a bit later. You know what? I, I actually have no idea if it's skewing older <laughs> could um, be anything, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could just be projecting, but, um, but yeah, generally a lot, a lot of, uh, university grads, my buddy always says it's the most educated blue collar workforce in the country. Uh-huh. And, uh, I absolutely think that's true. You know, it is, it's, it's an attractive, uh, proposition for like a university student to, to be able to pay their way through school without going into too much debt, if any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's about, I think, what was the stat? There's actually a stat. It's, it's something like 20% of firefighters are women. Um, I think that's kind of inching upwards, probably. Mm-hmm. What about experience level? Are you seeing people, like, what, when do people typically leave? Oh, the, the, like the lifespan of a forest firefighter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be, oh, there's a stat on this, too. You know what? I don't even know if it's a stat, but my buddy always says, like, no, this is the number. It's like 3.25 years is the average number. Yeah of years people stay in this job but it's it's fairly low I, I it can't be more than an average of five years i'd imagine the uh, the career span of a forest firefighter in bc which was kind of what made my situation un- definitely unusual and that i stayed at it for nine years and then came back this past summer for a tenth season or a part of a tenth season anyway um so so yeah n- nine years is definitely on the very old the very long career side of uh <laughs> being a firefighter. Tell me a little bit more about the the day-to-day life of a forest firefighter. You mentioned it's not always, you're not always out there fighting a fire. What are you doing in the other, you know, hours of the day and, and days of the week or weeks of the season? Yeah. Yeah. So if we're, if we're not on a fire, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's various projects around the community. I mean, you're, I guess you're, you're living like a pretty normal life or whatever, pretty average summer, seven hours, you know, it's not, not often more than eight or nine hours a day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm really the only in the, the, yeah, the most interesting part of the job is the actual firefighting. And that's like how we operated on our crew was um, we would either sleep two to a tent or if we were in a fire camp, which they'll set up if there's sort of a bigger project fire that looks like it'll last a few weeks they'll uh, send in um, like a fire camp. The BC government has, I forget what the number is, but they have some of these fire camps. It's basically a bunch of semi-trailers. There's a trailer for washing and a trailer for food and a trailer for logistics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then all these wall tents. And uh, so what we did a lot in the year that I, that uh, where my, my book takes place in the summer of 2014, we'd sleep 10 to one of these wall tents. So it'd be like five cots down each side and uh, very military style. Um, I I didn't I didn't like the arrangement, but at the same time, it does create sort of an atmosphere where you are you know so incredibly close with your crew that I think it you know it it definitely helps up to up to a point you know to mm-hmm. be to be that much together you know twenty four hours a day kind of thing. I think it uh, it makes you a, a pretty 
a pretty high functioning unit, especially by the end of the season when you've been at it for a while. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, yeah, 2014 was interesting in that way that we had, I think, uh, it was four two-week stints back-to-back. So work for 14 days, take three days off, work for another 14 days. And uh, those just, as those add up, you just get more and more exhausted and uh, and uh, things definitely get pretty tense. It's an interesting social situation. Yeah. How do you kind of manage that dynamic of seeing the same people and, and spending, you know, <laughs> t- almost 24 hours a day with each other for yeah. all those months? Yeah. Uh, that's that's a good you say management and i think that's like that kind of hits it for me especially like later on i was i was leading a squad so yeah. um last four years so i mean you have to sort of you have to sort of keep your shit together that much better than everybody else you have to be more calm and collected <laughs> you, you definitely witness sort of little little blow-ups and, and and spaz outs between crew members and stuff like that and mm-hmm. uh i mean you 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 can't get to that point ever, you know, if, if you're in, uh, if you're in a leadership position. So, I mean, I'd try to manage it. Like I found that oftentimes at night I would sort of, I would get a little bit less sleep than most of the crew members because I would go out to the truck and write every night after work. Um, but I think there was something else, uh, happening there too, which I just, I just needed that decompression time. It's just sort of, uh, how I, operate i guess it seems like some people are fine they can just spend all day with everyone eat dinner with them and then go to sleep you know right beside somebody without huh. having a moment alone um, yeah i find that pretty tough and i think maybe that had something to do with with my age you know i was a lot of the people i was working around in my last season were you know 2021 20, but i was 28 by then so yeah. even that bit of an age difference i think uh matters yeah um, but uh yeah it's, it's uh it's it's pretty intense. You don't like uh, you don't find that in a whole lot of jobs outside the military, I suppose. So when you were writing, was that you were writing your book, or were you writing journals that would ultimately become your book? Uh, yeah, that was kind of it. It was uh, I was writing notes. I, I sort of uh, I'd been at it for a long time. The firefighting by that point, I was spending my winters in Halifax with uh, with uh, my my girlfriend Sue, and um, it was. You know, I'd gone back in 2013. It was kind of like, okay, this is the last time that I'm not doing it anymore. Right. And then 2014 rolled around and prospects were looking great. And it's tough to make, you know, any kind of decent money out, you know, out on the Maritimes. And so like March, April came around, I was like, I got to do it once more. But I was like, okay, I'm going to do this once more. But if I do it, I always sort of had this interest in, in writing. And I always thought it would be kind of neat if, to write a book about a season of firefighting. I said, if I do this once more, if I spend, you know, by this time it was getting to be six months of the year away. Yeah. Um, if you're a squad boss, your season's a bit longer. So six months of the year away, I was like, I have to justify this as more than just money. So I was like, I'm going to write every day after work. And hopefully that becomes, that maybe that can become the foundation for a book. So it was sort of a, a habit I got into and thankfully managed to, to follow through with it the whole hmm. summer. And, uh, and that became the foundation for it, for the book. What was it about, uh, about that profession or about that calling that you thought, you know, this would make for a really good book? What was the story that you wanted to tell about forest firefighting? I guess I, I wanted to talk, like, I, I think that I was always kind of, it, that's a good question, as you can tell by how much I'm stuttering on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
That's a good question. I think that I was always kind of, I always felt that there was like a, a pretty big misconception about what the job is and what it entails mm -hmm. by, you know, the public doesn't really know, you know, you see the crazy images on the news, but that's just such a tiny sliver of what the, the overall job actually is. And I found the, the human side quite interesting, especially the, the bonds that you form with the, with the people you do the job with. Um, I kind of, something I kind of wish I'd explored a bit more is that you kind of end up with a lot of people who sort of have a lot of uh, anxiety about what the future holds kind mm -hmm. of thing. I, I touch on it a bit in the book, but I, I think, you know, certainly for me, that was, that was always something, and maybe that's just in my nature to be that way. But uh, there's definitely a lot of that, you know, people kind of hang on to the job for a couple more years than they should. And, oh, I got to do something else, but I don't know what else to do. Like, this right. is so great in so many ways, but, you know, it doesn't feel very adult or something like that. And so... I think that, yeah, the reason was kind of twofold. One was that I, I wanted to sort of paint a picture of what a, what a f season looks like uh, to a fire crew, you know, that goes beyond just uh, just a, a crazy picture or, or, or image in the news. And uh, just talk about the, the, the dynamics within the crew. I think it was so special. Like I... I work uh, I work part time at Air Canada now, which is like a huge corporation, and they talk about like you know being part of the team and this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. if you've been through that, like, and you and you hear that at your new job, you're like, this is not a this is not a team, you know, like this is right. not anything like um, what an actual team looks like. So that's that's a pretty unique thing. I don't think you can find it in too many places these days yeah or maybe maybe not ever i don't know if it's just a a, a, a a thing that happens now or or maybe it's maybe it's always been like that 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 uh i don't know you're it, it does it does fill a, a for me it did fill a hole i think you know to have that have that experience of closeness with uh with the people you work with it's mm -hmm. pretty unique well, well you mentioned that a few times it comes up a few times in the book of, of different people the guys that have been out of it now that, you know, you, I think there's a moment where there's a bunch of guys getting together around a fireplace and some of them had been forest firefighting in the past and they're yeah. talking oh, about, yeah. you know, yeah. has anything ever come close oh, to matching it? Kind of I really love that passage. That mm -hmm. was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, that sounds bad. I, I just, I, I, for, I, I say that because I find like looking back on the book, I find a lot of it's kind of cringeworthy already. I think that's just what happens when you put something on the world, mm -hmm. but that's one passage where I'm like, yeah, that, that, that kind of, that rings true still. But um, anyway, yeah, that was, uh, that, that's, that's true. Like, yeah, you do, you do certainly miss it once you're, once you're away from it. What is the the most dangerous part of being out there? Aside from, I guess the just the the fire itself. What what brings the potential for danger? Oh, for me, and I, I I'm sure anybody would agree with this. It's uh, it's the tree falling side of it. Mm. Um, burnt out trees are so dangerous. And uh, a faller was killed in 2015 on the Sunshine Coast, uh, BC. And, um, I, I do think that, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, you're basically, you're, when you're working on a fire, if you're working along a fire edge and you're standing there hosing stuff all day before you can get in there and hose stuff after, after a fire sort of died down a bit and sort of really, you know, lock it down and make sure the fire's not going to escape anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have somebody pass through the area and 
and make sure no trees are going to come down suddenly because you have burnt out root systems or burnt out tops and, and things get very precarious. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the people who have to fall those trees, it's, uh, it's very dangerous. And uh, I think we're, you know, the, the ministry has been lucky so far and there's been no accidents in-house, but uh, I mean, geez, like just, yeah, falling trees is extremely dangerous. What was your scariest moment or the closest call that you had uh, on a fire? I, I think it was more for me, it was proximity to somebody else's close call. So uh, two things that stand out, and they both, again, they both involved burning trees. Um, I was falling uh, with, a, with a friend uh, and, uh, well, with a coworker slash friend, and, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a tree that was burning about three quarters of the way up, and it's sort of, uh, there was some sort of animal hole or something like that way up there, and it, uh, it was hanging on by a thread, just the top sort of 20 feet of this tree, and it snapped off, and my buddy was, uh, was following another tree, and this treetop came down and it hit his chainsaw which is like that's like pretty darn close to to wiping him out yeah um and he was quite rattled by that and even you know even by proximity i was rattled by it too and then uh in my second season similar sort of thing it's it's just incredible like again it's the it's the most uh you know unassuming sort of moments just some people were hosing around under a cedar tree in the Kootenays and it was you know there's like a bit of smoke ash on the ground kind of thing and nothing nothing seemed bad there's no wind and suddenly the tree without warning just sort of collapsed in on itself and uh and yeah people were running and uh and it was like it was a very close call so yeah n- nothing to me personally but just being around yeah I've witnessed a couple of things that definitely make you think yeah what what did you learn you know, in 10 seasons firefighting, uh, between where you started to where you are now, uh, how, how did your approach to things change if they did? Uh, how did your perspective on the job change if it has? Yeah, I think that one of the best, uh, something that was nice about being around it for longer and longer is you, you've, you got less worried about, you know, when you were going to get called to a fire or, you know, whether or not you were going to make uh, enough money to get through uh, the winter kind of thing comfortably. That that sort of mellowed out as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really nice because, you, I, you know, s- stupidly, I'd kind of stress myself out about that stuff and, and other people would too. And um, I don't know, I, I guess you sort of accept the fact that there's not really a whole lot that you can do as one person fighting a forest fire like there's it's just uh yeah and or even as the 20 people can do i i think that more often than not it's eventually it's it's weather systems that will that will start uh forest fires that will create the conditions and it's also those it's also weather systems that will create the conditions for them to slow down so you know until if, if fire is huge and raging you're not going to stop it until enough rain comes that you can sort of, that buys you a little bit of time to sort of, you know, push some bulldozer guard around it or, or cut some trail to lay some hose along it. And um, yeah, that's sort of, you just, you just realize that, uh, that, yeah, it's not, uh, it's a lot of it's out of your control. So learning, learning to be at peace with things, even if you're not the person who's putting out that last bit of, of smoke. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Yeah. How about this? How has your time changed? Uh, or how has your time in the woods and, and in being part of that crew, that close-knit crew, how has that changed 
the rest of your life, how you go about things day to day now well, when you're outside of that environment? Well, I, I guess, uh, I think that I, <laughs> I definitely, I still, fitness is a pretty big part of the, the forest firefighting program. You're basically paid an hour a day if you're not on a fire to, to work out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the workouts were so intense on our crew. Like we had all these incredible athletes and uh, I'd never been in better shape. So, so now, I mean, that's certainly something that I still carry with me. I think that uh, it does, for lack of a better word, it does toughen you up. Um, Hmm. So say, for example, if I'm working at Air Canada and I'm working out on the, what we call the ramp, like out on the tarmac loading and unloading planes and say it's raining or it's cold, Like that does not bother me one bit. Whereas if, you know, I I feel like if I didn't have that background, I'd kind of be like, Oh, it was raining. I can't believe it. You know, that stuff doesn't phase me. And I, I, I'm very thankful for that because I think it makes, uh, it makes your whole life a lot better. Um, Yeah. It's funny because the the job was such a joy, but at the same time, there were some real lows and, uh, and it was, it was quite difficult at times, you know, sleeping in a tent and dismal Mm -hmm. weather and wet this and, and long days and stuff like that. So um, it wasn't always like that, but the times when it was, it definitely, it definitely makes sort of um, uh, the rest of your life feel pretty easy for the most part. And I don't know, as far as my relations with, people i guess i definitely connect more i I can sort of sense this energy from people who have sort of been through similar experiences and stuff like that you sort of feel a a closeness with a with a certain kind of person i guess it's not they don't even necessarily have to be forest firefighters they could be you know it could be a welder in the oil patch or something like that you just sort of have this this connection with those kinds of people who have who have you know seen some some ugly work days right right and done and done a good hard day's work of of yeah 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 Yeah, exactly how has it been for you since the book's been out uh in the months since uh the kind of reactions you've (laughs) got from people who've been able to pick it up and read it uh different readings that you've been able to do in public Uh, what's that experience been like um well, I okay. Well, here's a sort of recent example. I'm actually down in Portland right now. Um, my my girlfriend's at a, a ocean science conference here, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm just kind of tire biting and staying in their Airbnb and stuff. Huh. And uh, it's nice. Like I'm here, and they're going out for dinner and stuff like that, and uh, and meeting with people from different universities and all these all this kind of networky mingly stuff. And I'm just kind of the uh, the 17th, 18th, 19th wheel kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I have to, <laughs> I have to sort of, you know, introduce myself to a lot of people and like the, the people she works with, they've been introducing me. It's like, Oh, this is, this is Sue's boyfriend, Aaron, uh, you know, <laughs> jokingly like famous author or whatever. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> which is totally not true, obviously, <laughs> but it is nice to have something like that, to have done something like this. Um, to sort of, I, I don't know, to sort of keep the imposter syndrome at bay or something like that. Even though, even though it's, even though it's a completely different world than what I'm in, it just, it feels like an achievement. I don't, and I don't even know if that's catching it properly. I just, it's, 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 it's difficult. Like I don't, I don't like, I have a hard time with any sort of attention or any sort of uh, congratulations and stuff uh-huh. like that. I think like, I mean, you, you must know a bit about 
what this is like, I suppose. Well, I, I, I can only imagine what I'm getting myself into, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, you must. Okay, so say, for example, like, you know, you must have family and friends who sort of do different things and think, oh, like, Martin has this podcast. That's fantastic. Well, you know, yeah, like, what a totally. neat, cool thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I've only listened to those. I haven't made one. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know what your reaction to it is, but mine's, it's, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like violently or like rudely like downplaying, you know, like I just right. I can't, I can't focus the attention away from me fast enough. So here it's been like, this is Aaron Williams, uh, you know, Sue's boyfriend, he wrote a book and it's like for one second, I'm like, nice, thank you. But also like, let's never speak of this again. <laughs> uh, uh, don't talk to so. me about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I, uh, I recognize that, yeah, it was, it was interesting, you know, doing the, like my first book tour was, uh, more challenging than I thought it would be. I thought it would be sort of a nice, easy time, but, uh, doing a reading and then, you know, maybe signing a few books and talking to a few people after it's like, it's very difficult. I'd imagine I actually wrote about this a bit. I think it'd be maybe something like your wedding day where like, you know, on, on the surface, it's supposed to be for you, but really it's about people who show up kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. so I found it actually, it was very rewarding, but very, like all things that are very rewarding, it was very difficult too. Yeah. Well, I imagine that that's got a, the sense of completion though, of, you know, you spend all this time putting a book together and, and to be able to say at the end of the day, I I did that, you know, I finished it and yeah, uh, and to yeah. have something that you can hold in your hands, uh, that, that's got to be satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I, like, <laughs> I, I think at the same time, there's a, a writer, I think it was John Banville, was saying like, he, he has this fantasy where like, he likes seeing the covers of books, but he wishes like, the insides were blank. And he yeah. could, like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely feel that way. It was, it was interesting because I wrote a lot of this book. I, 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 you know, the foundation of this book was from like, almost four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely changed a lot as a writer since then. I've I've written a ton, and I've you know I've certainly think I've I've gotten better. And mm-hmm. so you look back, and and it's it is it's tough to look back at uh, at your own work sometimes. I don't, I I don't know. If totally you agree. That. Yeah, I uh, in, in <laughs> must high... be even tougher when it's your own voice you're here. <laughs> well, yeah, perfect example of that in in high school, especially and in, in, into my university days a little bit. I had a, a let's say four or five six year span. Uh, yeah. producing rap songs and, and writing rap albums. And <laughs> okay. I go back to the first one or two albums of that, even the first three albums of that, and it, yeah. it's very hard to to hear your early work. Uh, so, oh, really? Yeah. But did, did you reach a point where, are you okay with any of it now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say the most recent stuff I still feel pretty good about. And as a whole, I, as the experience, I still feel pretty good about it. But yeah, there's a part of me yeah. where... Uh, if somebody were to like my, if somebody wants to clear me out of a room, the the first thing they would have to do is just play <laughs> yeah. one of those early songs, and then I am, oh, I am gone. Yeah. So yeah, I I totally get that. Uh, well, what's the time gap between like your last uh, record and yeah? Now? So how far oh. has it been? So I think it would be uh, maybe four years removed right now, maybe maybe five on the long end, but I'd say probably. Oh, and you about- still are okay with it. Mostly. I'm I'm mostly okay with it, yeah. Uh, I, but I mean, maybe you'd feel yeah. different if you were still pursuing it. I'm I'm assuming you're but not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so maybe maybe you're right. Maybe if, if you're still in just... something, then it's a little bit different. But I've I've I'm at peace with what I've huh. done. Uh, I felt like I I did what I 
set out to do in some respects yeah. and and can kind of look back on that chapter now uh in a good light oh yeah but <laughs> yeah I, I think i wonder about that too i was talking about this the other day with somebody it's like you know i've sort of got one more book in the works but i don't have anything after that yeah and it's like maybe maybe that's it i don't know and and will it be okay will i be okay if that's it I, right i'm not sure yet you don't either. have an answer for that yet no no definitely not um but i do i do feel like i the the chasing smoke was like I mean, not to disparage my own work, but it feels amateur enough to me now that I'm like, okay, I have to do something better than that because I know I'm capable of it. Right. Because, um, yeah, because it's, I mean, it's four years in the making, right? And and some of that yeah. early writing is probably still in there. Uh, yeah, from, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, it kind of had to be. I felt like if I changed it too much, I would sort of destroy whatever this hmm. the spirit of the thing was in the first yeah. place. And yeah. so now you want to say, hey, this is, you know, <laughs> this is actually how I write <laughs> now. That's how good I am now, even yeah. though, like, the differences are so negligible to the average reader. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter that much. I don't know. Yeah. Have any of your crew members, you know, messaged you or, or seen you and, and, uh, and had good conversations <laughs> about all the stuff? Yeah, I've, I've talked to quite a few of them, actually. It's always interesting. You know, you can sort of... Even though you know somebody doesn't say it, they they can sort of you can sense whether or not they really liked it or not. Yeah, people tend to be pretty. You know, they they it's hard not to betray your your feelings about things. Yeah, um, but uh, for the most part, I think I did I did pretty well by them, and that was that was pretty important to me. Obviously, I didn't want to totally blow it for those guys, and you know, yeah. <laughs> right. read, read it and be like it was nothing like that. <laughs> um, but uh, I tried not to sell them out too much. I'm yeah, little... well, it wasn't like a secret lives of, of you know, forest firefighters <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't like that. So so the response has been has been passable. It's been good enough for sure. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think you're, you have another summer in you of, of forest firefighting or have you sworn it off by now? No, uh, I would go back. I kind of I came back in 2017 on a like with a contract crew, so not on a government crew, but on a contract crew, which is kind of a tough pill to swallow because we always sort of looked down at the contract crews when we were on on a on a government crew. Yeah. Um, but I would I would do it again. Um, my friend and I, um, the same guy who actually just about got clipped by that treetop, mm-hmm. um, we sort of started this this contract company together. And uh, we had a great, great time doing it last summer. It was really neat to sort of be a little bit more in control of, of how we, you know, of, we, we sort of ran on this pretty militaristic crew for a long time. So it was, it was sort of a breath of fresh air to be out sort of calling all the shots ourselves. And, uh, and that was pretty cool. So I would certainly do it again. I, I could, honestly, I could see years more of it. It's just, uh, it's such a neat, and especially living out, uh, out East now, it's, such a neat sort of escape from your regular life. And uh, mm. there's, there's all sorts of good that, that, that comes from it. Probably eventually we'll be uh, like doing forest firefighting retreats so that people can, uh, you know, center themselves or whatever. <laughs> Get away for a weekend. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah, disaster tourism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, are you at the point of, of uh, wanting to share what, what your next idea for a book is, or is that still close to the chest at this point? And, and, uh, well, it's close much. to the chest. As, yeah. It's close to the chest as far as like material, but it, yeah. it will, it will be about logging in BC. 
mm-hmm. um, which sounds like such a boring premise, but I think that you could probably make just about any book's premise boring if you tried hard. <laughs> and, and, but, and the flip side, I think you could probably make any topic interesting too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all about, yeah, you can you can make very mundane stuff interesting. I'm trying to think of some examples, but they're, they're certainly... <laughs> um, well, what about those uh, Nausgaard memoirs? Carlo uh, Nausgaard, or however you pronounce his no, name? No, I, I don't. I'm not familiar. Okay, well, he wrote like a six or seven part memoir about his life, and it's oh, okay. like, and it, you know, he's not even old. He hasn't even lived that remarkable of a life, and it's like the most compelling thing I've ever read, almost. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but back to yeah, it would be it'll be about logging, and uh, it's about half done, and um, I I hope that it. Yeah, I, I hope that I can. I think I can finish it, and I hope that it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably as good of a quote for a writer as anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Aaron, anything else you want to share about uh, what it was like for you taking these mm. summers spent in such a an experience that very few people have, and then yeah. turning that into okay, how do I put this at the page? Well, I guess like ultimately. You know, when I moved past, you know, feeling a little bit embarrassed about the writing or whatever, I'm so glad there's a record of it. And I think that I I will get a lot of joy out of looking at it, you know, should I live to be, you know, into my 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that looking back on that will be such a treat one day. You know, it'll be like, it, it'll be, it'll be really cool. All right. Well, anyway, thanks, Aaron. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed reading the book and uh, and enjoyed talking to you even more. Yeah, you too. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to know more about Aaron, his book is out now through Harbor Publishing. If you enjoyed the show, a couple things you can do. First off, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and also tell someone else you think might like it. If you want to get in touch, you can follow along on Facebook at Story Untold Podcast or send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman and this was a Story Untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.